Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have a great guest on today, someone who I used to talk to quite a bit in my past life in radio and in sports, but haven't had a chance to talk to him in a while, and we have much to talk about. Mike Garland is joining us today. He's in his second stint on the Spartan bench with Michigan State as a special assistant to the coach. We'll learn more about that in just a little bit here. Mike, how are you? Or I should say coach. I'm not calling you Mike. No, don't worry about that, Tony. I've been called worse. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what you're doing at Michigan State now. Well, I'm no longer coaching there. Mm I've retired. I retired August 1st of 2022. And, yeah, um, aware of that, but on. you still have an office there, though, right? Well, I do. I uh-huh. just kicked Thomas Kelly out of his office when I'm over there to do work over there. All right. <laughs> but no, All not right. really. But I'm around right. quite a bit. Let's dive into some important stories I want to talk with you about. I want to talk a little bit about the shooting at Michigan State University that claimed the lives of three people. One person is paralyzed. Four others are still hurt. That has ripped its way through the Spartan community across the world. I want to get your takes on that. Let's go back to when you first heard about it and how you were monitoring it and what your take is. Well, I was sitting home and uh, my wife and I were watching television. Then there was a news break and that informed us that there had been a shooting on campus. And quite naturally, I thought at first that there was a shooting, not shooting and killing. And boy, as the broadcast continued, it got more disheartening and more disheartening of how an individual would come to a campus and search out young people and do everything in his power to end their lives. And it just, in my mind, it speaks volumes to where we are as a society right now. You know, not only do people think about bad thoughts or think about things, but the worst part is that they act them out and we've got to do something about it. What's been the mood with the program? A lot of us, of course, have followed Coach Izzo, his speech on campus at the vigil, his conversations with the media since games have resumed. What's the vibe with the program and on campus from what you've seen? Well, I think the campus is slowly starting to heal from what I've seen. But the day after was very frightening, you know, and particularly our freshmen. It was tough for those guys to practice. You know, they were a little disheartened by losing their classmates. And but also there was a fear factor there that I just can't walk across campus without looking over my shoulder, being frightened that, you know, somebody might take a shot at. Tony, I don't know if you know this, but Stephen Izzo, Tom's son, was at that scene at Berkey Hall. It happened on Monday. Am I correct? He comes there every Monday evening to pick up his girlfriend, who was actually in Berkey Hall when that happened. And by the time Stephen pulled up there, he got out of his car and the cops grabbed him and rustled him back into his car and told him to get away from there. There were so many cops and first responders that he drove all the way from Berkey Hall back to the Breslin Center on the sidewalk. And when he got into Breslin Center, 
He had the presence of mind to go and hide up in one of the boxes. And shortly after that, a couple of the managers called him and said, hey, you know, come down to our alumni locker room, which is a lot more secure. But Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, can you imagine that, you know, going over to pick your girlfriend up? Because he always would go into the building and walk her out because it was night to make sure nothing happened. Man, it was frightening. It was frightening for all of us. And, you know, when I had called, I had called over to talk to Tom, but I couldn't. I got loopy and I couldn't understand why she was crying. And t- but she didn't know what was going on with Stephen. But praise God, you know, nothing happened to him or his girl. We're talking with Mike Garland, former Michigan State basketball coach. We're going to talk about his coaching career, which has taken him all over the country. We're going to talk a little bit more about the shooting at MSU. We'll do that next here on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Mike Garland, the retired Michigan State University men's basketball coach. You know, Mike, we were talking about the shooting and what we were doing, and I'll never forget, I've got a son who plays football at Central, and we had ended up calling him because I've got another kid who plays basketball at Davenport, and he happened to be home with us, and he was saying, Dad, have you heard what's going on? So anyway, we caught up with the media And you start panicking because there are kids that I have coached in youth football and basketball going to Michigan State. Some of my best friends have kids there. So it's just you don't have to be directly involved to really be, you know, to go through this. And so we're following the news and you're just praying. And it was just very distressing for us on the outside, if you will. Right. No doubt. And, you know, you just hope and pray that, you know, there's not a copycat shooter out there somewhere headed to some other campus. That's my biggest fear, because every time you see something happen, whether it be Baldy or Parkland, you know, one of those situations always leads into another a month or two afterwards. So it's tough. And how do you secure a college campus? I mean, I think it's impossible without taking away the kids' experience. And that's why we not only go to college for the education, but we go for the experience. And I don't know how you do it. I really don't. But, you know, there's a new problem now. Well, we're not going to get off on a tangent about talking about guns, but I think there has to be a way to have a waiting period to make sure people are mentally competent, to figure out a way how to get the guns out of the bad guy's hands or people who are mentally challenged. And hopefully we'll take that up now. Well, you know, in my opinion, and, you know, I know 
there's a lot of people out there that would disagree with this. I have no problem with someone having a gun. You want to have a shotgun or a pistol or whatever you have in your house, that's fine. Where I have the problem, what do you need an assault weapon for? There's only one reason. That's to kill people and to kill a lot of them and fast. Well, this guy had a handgun, so he was mentally challenged and a criminal and probably should have been in jail. But we have these lacks, you know, so we got a lot of work to do, though, don't we? No question. Well, I had talked with Max Carey, whose communications liaison for basketball about having you on. And the shooting made me kind of sit back to get you on because what I wanted to talk with you about is here you retire, you're lean and mean, you look fit, <laughs> you're healthy, you're ready to enjoy life. And all of a sudden, you have a life challenge. Take us to that moment and walk us through where you are right now, coach. Well, on August 27, 26 days after I retired, I went into cardiac arrest for your audience. And I'm trying to make everyone more knowledgeable about things that happen, you know, when there's heart issues. Most people don't understand there's a difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack. Mm-hmm. My problem was not the heart muscle itself, my veins, my arteries, and all of that, and the strength of my heart. What happened to me was the electrolysis in my heart went haywire. And as Dr. Gandhi explained to me, they go like this, and I guess there's a third one in there, and all three of mine were stuck in a line. And I was riding to the bank with my wife on a Saturday morning. I live out here in Holt. I turned off Holt Road onto college. And that's all I remember from that point on. We, you know, praise God, we weren't going that fast. We ran into a tree. I was out. And my wife was sitting next to me. The airbag, of course, you know, inflated. And, you know, she was scarred a little bit from the seatbelt in the bag. And then, you know, the good Lord sent two angels there, Jason Blackwell and John Durrett. And they started CPR on me before EMS and the responders could actually get there. You know, had not they been there right when I went out, I would either be dead now or. I would have some type of brain damage or some type of ailment. But because, you know, especially Jason, he was there. He called 911. He was performing CPR. And the big thing that everybody has to understand, in my opinion, there needs to be a push that we all should learn CPR because you never know when your loved one's going to go down. Mm-hmm. But The big thing was he didn't quite know what he was doing. (laughs) The last time he had done CPR, he was a Cub Scout. And back then, you had so many chest compressions to -to mouth-to-mouth. Well, now they don't even recommend you do Mm -hmm. mouth-to-mouth. It's 100, 120 beats to a minute or so. But anyway, I don't know this. I believe this, that. When he put his mouth on my mouth, 
and made sure I had some air, I believe that kept me from having a stroke. Mm. Once the uh, response team got there, those brave men and women did a phenomenal job. I was still coded. I was actually coded for 18 minutes. And, you know, they just kept with me. They just stayed on me and kept with me and kept with me. Got me over to McLaren and Dr. Gandhi and their team. They brought me back. They brought me back. And, you know, I'm ever grateful for what they did and never given up on. We're talking with retired Michigan State University men's basketball coach Mike Garland. Coach, I want to wrap this up after the break with a couple more questions for you. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Managing your office supplies is key to a seamlessly functioning business. With over 90,000 items available for free next day delivery and no minimum order, DBI can solve all your office supply needs from pencils to coffee at the very best value. Call DBI and ask a sales representative to show you their product offerings or visit dbiyes.com and request a product catalog. DBI does all things office, office supplies, furniture, and environments. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Coach Mike Garland. So, Coach, you're in the hospital. You're recuperating. Now you're out. Now you're feeling good. What's your takeaway from all this? Well, be thankful for every day you get, of course. But, uh, you know, my wife and I have actually started. We're waiting on our 501c3 paperwork and stuff to come back. But we're starting a foundation to bring about you know, awareness for CPR training and the need for AEDs in buildings, especially in disadvantaged neighborhoods. And we're going to do all we can to really push that. Tom and I are going to partner either this spring or sometime this summer, and we're going to host a CPR clinic. We're going to try to make that free to everyone that wants to come in and try to learn CPR, we'll have our players there doing it as well. But Tony, I'm doing well. I'm actually back out running again. It's been a journey. You know, open heart surgery, (laughs) it's no joke. It's probably the toughest thing I went through, not so much the surgery itself, but the recovery. You know, I've never been in a situation where I, you know, physically, you know, couldn't just have control of my body. And uh, it took me there. And I'm going to tell you, those first 60 days afterwards were tough, really, really tough. From the physical aspect of it, the spiritual aspect of it, and more so than anything, the mental aspect of it, because you lose confidence that you have control of your health. But I'm doing well now. All right. Well, for those who don't know Mike Garland, he's got a rich history in coaching high school basketball uh, in our state as an assistant at Cody. High School in Detroit, as well as Belleville High. Knew of you very much, Coach, as I'm from Mount Clemens, so you know right. the schools where people can ball. You were the head coach <laughs> at Cleveland State. Now you're retired, but I mentioned all that. I want to talk a little bit about leadership. Mm. What do we as leaders need to do to be better? Well, 
Tony, I think the best form of leadership is relationship driven. But what hurts that a lot of times is that the tension between being a leader or a servant. We all know that guys that are leaders can take control of a situation and make quick, accurate decisions. But not all guys are servant leaders. And when they're not, it actually hurts the abilities of the team or the company or whatever have you to achieve its goals. But great leaders, they are confident and sure that they can be both. And I think that drives the relationship between the leader and whoever the people are that are under him. Coach, what do the young players need most that you've coached and that other of us may coach? And I say this because I was a single parent kid, no dad in the house, just mom. The coaches were my father figures, if you will. They looked after me. What do kids like us need? And what do all kids need from their coaches? Well, mentorship is big. And uh, you just mentioned, in my estimation, you know, the leadership aspect of sports in general and basketball per se is teaching young men and young women how to socialize, how to be, you know, good teammates, how to be good neighbors how to take care of their family and properly raise their kids. You can teach kids all of that stuff through basketball, through sports. And somewhere along the way, we have kind of gotten away from that. You know, not all basketball programs, they say there's a family atmosphere there, but it's not. It's not. The coach doesn't, you know, put in that extra time to do that. And that stuff takes time. It takes time away from you as a coach, from your family. It takes time from you as a coach, from your kids. And it takes a lot of your free time if you're going to do it the right way. But, you know, from the social aspect of it, I guess, that's it in a nutshell. But when you start talking about the game itself, I learned to play basketball first and foremost on a playground. You go by basketball courts today, you don't even see kids out there. If you do, he's one kid out there, maybe shooting by himself, maybe two, if he's fortunate enough. But what has happened is that everybody's going to workout guys or trainers, skill training guys. Well, they're teaching kids and they're developing their skill set, but they don't know how to use their skill set. So when you teach, And understand, too, Tony, and I think you know this, a lot of coaches back in the day were actually teachers. So they knew how to teach. And what's happening, these kids have skill set, tremendous athleticism, great skill set, have no idea of how to play the game. They don't really know how to use their skill set to be successful in the game. And, you know, we need to scale it back some. And make sure these kids understand how to play the game of basketball correctly. We're talking with a retired Michigan State men's basketball coach, Mike Garland. We want to thank our listeners. I'm Tony Conley, and this is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We'll see you next time.